wonder, curiosity, a moment of emotion, and you've got your audience sucked in so that when they present, and then when you present the data, you say, I, you know, I wonder what would happen if, I think I'll try if. And so you do if, and look, this is what if gave me. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this episode, you'll hear a conversation I had with former NASA engineer Maureen Zappala. Now a professional speaker, Maureen learned to overcome her own imposter syndrome and now teaches other high performers how to do the same thing. Hear what Maureen has to say about the power of story as a communication tool, even in the most technical settings. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Ode, and I am so excited to have a special guest on my show today. Her name is Maureen Zapala. And I'm going to let Maureen tell you more about her background, why I'm excited to have her on this show. I'll start by saying I only met Maureen face to face for the first time, I think, what, about two years ago? I believe at a Toastmasters. I remember, convention. but yeah, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah. Uh, and yet I've, I've known you in the virtual world considerably longer than that. Did we take a, a class together? We've been involved in online communities of one, one sort or another. Was it uh, mostly stage time, stage time university? Or Toastmasters? Yeah, it must, it or must NSA, Yeah, or, any, any of those. <laughs> pick your poison. <laughs> we run out in the same cool circles. <laughs> we do. We do. We hang out virtually with a lot of cool people, don't we? Um, and, and here's what I like about having Maureen on this show. You know, the theme of this show is communication skills for people who have may have very high-level skills in analytical intellectual functions like science and engineering and IT, and yet may struggle with some communication skills, especially when it comes to talking to a group. So presentation skills, being able to tell the story of your work, that's a a recurring theme throughout this program. And Maureen has a, a fascinating story to tell about that because of her background in engineering, working for a little organization I think you've probably heard of. Right, Maureen? A little organization, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I I want to hear it from you. National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Uh, Was there for almost 14 years, uh, right out of college. So imagine how uh, overwhelmed and terrified I felt stepping into the place where the rocket scientists are. And then there was me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and there was you. <laughs> You're a rocket scientist, right? Yeah, I'm a rocket scientist. That is yeah. my background. Which, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, though, I mean, I don't have a degree in rocket scientry because there's no such thing. Uh, my degree is mechanical engineering. Got it from University of Notre Dame. I went in as a mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. I went in as a civil engineer wanting mm-hmm. to build bridges and tunnels. Oh, okay. I grew up in New York City where we were surrounded by bridges and, bridges tunnels. and tunnels. My dad... Sure had a position with the Port Authority, which is the organization that basically administers all the bridges and tunnels. Mm -hmm. And so he would come home with blueprints and cool stories 
is. And he was part of the design team of the World Trade Center way, way back, you know, in the 70s when I was a little kid. So I always knew that I wanted to do something in the engineering world. And I was good in math and science. But when I got to college and learned that in the civil engineering world, you had to take classes like concrete 101, I thought, (laughs) yeah, no. (laughs) What else can I do? So I switched to mechanical. uh, And then one of the summer jobs that I had while I was in college was at the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, I know where that is. I have uh, an uncle who was stationed there for a while. It's a huge Air Force Base and lots of, uh, it's it's a headquarters to a lot of the different um, um, commands within the Air Force Base. And I worked Mm -hmm. in an office where I learned about air-breathing propulsion, jet engines, aircraft engines, which is just like rocket engines, only they use a different propellant. Right. Thermodynamically, they're exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So I loved it, switched my focus in mechanical engineering to more fluid flow, heat transfer topics. Okay. And um, got a job in, in Cleveland at NASA in their jet engine test facility. And like I said, air breathing engines, a lot like rocket engines. Mm-hmm. Even though I did jet engine research, I'm still a rocket scientist. Still a rocket scientist. <laughs> now, I'm going to interrupt you because behind you, I see those two models of uh, jet fighter aircraft. Were you involved in work on those engines? I was. Uh, that was behind me um, probably about, I don't know, eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. I was at a craft show. Uh, I live in Las Vegas now, but this was back in Ohio and Cleveland. was at a craft show, turned the corner and saw this display of these hand-carved mahogany models of transportation vehicles, trucks, trains, airplanes, boats. And I literally gasped. These are two models that I purchased. One is an F-15 and one is an F-16. They're both Air uh, Air Force um, aircraft. I did do a lot of the work on the engines of both of those aircraft, as well as the engine that's on the F-18, which actually is the same engine that's on the F-14. And then some other um, helicopter work. But yeah, these are... Mm. I have a happy moment when I look at them. <laughs> Those are special to you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That must be. Um, and to realize that people are traveling around inside those aircraft and their lives are depending on the reliability and power of those engines that you worked on. That must well, not be just quite the engine, responsibility. But, you know, every system on the aircraft. Yeah, every system, system sure. The hydraulic yeah. system, the fuel system, the monitoring system, the data system, uh, the uh, personal comfort system. Mm-hmm. I was just a small part of the puzzle. But uh, you know what, though? If, you're, <laughs> if your car is not running right, guess what? You're not going anywhere. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 So I do like to think that I had a, 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 I had a small part in a system in a big program, and it was exciting. It's a, a big pro- program that has a lot riding on it. There's a lot at stake mm-hmm. in that program. You know, I talk sometimes in storytelling about what's at stake in your story, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and maybe we'll come back to that a little bit. Um, but I, I want to go back to your experiences at NASA. What kinds of presentations did you have to give, and what was that like for you when you... Well, um, when I started, I was just simply a project engineer, okay. um, basically just one of a team of people. And I had a small part of the project. And as I grew into the role, I started getting more responsibilities and more um, 
authority, I guess. And I actually became the director of the jet engine test facility in uh, at the NASA Center in Cleveland. Wow! Now, along along that journey, the presentations, most of the presentations that I had to make were kind of dull and dry. It was mm-hmm. here's what we did last night in the test. Here's our mm-hmm. chart of what we did last night in the test. Anybody mm-hmm. have any questions? Uh, okay. Very technical, very dry. But as I grew into the director role, and I call it a director role, the title was actually facility manager. Okay. But that implies that I was responsible for bricks and mortar, and I wasn't. I was responsible, <clears throat> excuse me, I was responsible for the quality of the research and the manpower and the budget of it. So it was more like a plant manager okay. than a, um, a building manager. Okay. But I had to make presentations to NASA headquarters. I had to pitch projects. I had to talk with our customers and clients, which was mm-hmm. the Department of Defense, the Navy, the okay. Air Force, uh, uh, the uh, the Army, talked with the engine manufacturers. So I had to, mm-hmm. I had to pitch projects, give content or give um, updates on our programs. I had to um, give a lot of tours to the public, oh. uh, presentations to dignitaries, any senator that came through town, because it's a government oh. facility. Yeah. So we had, I was the face of the facility, really, to um, our government. So I had to make a lot of presentations. And quite frankly, I was awful. Awful. Oh, <laughs> I can't believe that. I was awful. Even my <laughs> boss, after I remember giving one presentation in particular, there was so much riding on this one presentation. And uh, it was to a room full of the top brass at NASA in Cleveland. Okay. And I... I thought I did okay until my boss came into my office later on and said, no. Oh, Maureen, you're terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> I was crushed. And uh, so that was a data point that said, I need to get better at this. <laughs> well, okay. That's good. I'm glad you turned that away from it was terrible to I need to get better. Yeah. At least showed you a direction to go. Yeah. That must have been crushing. It was, you know, my boss was, I, I, I really admired him. We were good friends. So it didn't come with okay. the crushing blow. It was more of like a, oh, really? Oh, oh. <laughs> what do I do about this? <laughs> so what did you do about it? I joined Toastmasters. Okay. And yeah, you've done well uh, in Toastmasters. It wasn't immediate. Uh, it was probably, I don't know, a year or so later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually joined Toastmasters after I left NASA. I left NASA. Uh, they were downsizing the government and it was just time for me to move on. You know, no mm-hmm. bad blood, no bad mm-hmm. feelings. I wasn't mm-hmm. fed up with it. It was just time to move on. Okay. Um, left NASA, kind of thought, what am I going to do next? Joined Toastmasters mostly to have something else to do in mm-hmm. the transition of trying to find out my next journey and loved it, loved it, loved it. And found that I did have natural skill for mm-hmm. presenting, but I still needed to tweak it and fine tune it. And I learned mm-hmm. that the exuberance that I have naturally did not fit well in the technical world. And that's why he said I was terrible. So now I've learned in my journey of uh, becoming a professional, because I'm a professional speaker, read your audience, know your audience, tailor your content, uh, know people's learning styles. Don't blast them with the personality if they're more of a subdued crowd. Build into that a little bit. So it's all these things. Build into it. Hmm. Well, I'm thinking back to what she said about giving those presentations. You were giving presentations to audiences that were uh, technically astute. I mean, you're talking about NASA, yes. 
brass and, and the engine manufacturers, and also to members of the public to whom you're giving tours. So yeah. what was it like to shift gears between audiences like that? I really had to learn things like the power of an- analogies. <laughs> okay, yeah. Simplifying the language. You know, the government is famous for what I call TLAs, which are three-letter acronyms. <laughs> right. The famous three-letter acronym for all the three-letter acronyms. Yeah, yeah. I had to either eliminate them or translate them into something that they could understand. (laughs) Right. All the while reading their eyeballs to Mm -hmm. see, are they getting it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is another interesting point, because nowadays, you know, we're having to do so much presenting virtually where you can't read eyeballs. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. That is hard. Um, I've been working on that as well. it is hard. It's a different skill. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your Toastmasters journey. That may be how you and I first crossed paths, because I've been in Toastmasters yeah, since to, uh, 2005. Okay. Uh, my, let's see. I joined I, the I, first. I've been in it three times. Oh, okay. <laughs> I kind of jumped in and out. Um, first time I joined was in 1997. The second time I joined, I think, was around maybe 2005 or 2006. Okay. Um, and then I rejoined. I took about a year off while I was transitioning my life. I was moving from Cleveland to Vegas. Oh, uh, uh-huh. to, well, not quite a year, maybe six months. So I rejoined uh, almost a year ago. Okay. And um, what I have learned in Toastmasters, among many things, is it's not just simply about standing up and giving a speech. A lot of people don't even know what Toastmasters is. You know, it develops communication yeah. and leadership skills. And leadership skills, right. But that's kind of the cover story for all the other things that you get. You get confidence. Mm. You get friendship. You get relationships. You, get, uh, you learn to handle difficult conversations. You, la- you learn to be accepting of different viewpoints. Oh, my gosh. When I worked at NASA, it was so homogenous. And then I step really? into world of different cultures and different financial perspectives and different genders, even different genders. I mean, I was, and Essa, I was like one woman out of a CMN. So, you know, so, you know, it just, it's, I can't say enough how much being in Toastmasters changed my life. Now, where I'm at right now in Toastmasters, I'm not so much in the learning mode. I'm in the giving mode and contributing mode. Mm -hmm. Um, and it still is a big part of my world, but it launched me as a professional speaker, for okay. sure. Okay. So tell me what kind of professional speaking you do now. I speak on a topic called imposter syndrome. Oh, yes. Okay. I've read your book. Okay, good. Yeah. Thank you. Yay! Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, in fact, I was looking for my copy of it, and I've, just, I've determined I think I lend it to somebody, but I'm not sure who. <laughs> I, get, I, good. I, I like that. I love it. I yeah, like that it that's right. passed on to somebody else. Because I knew someone else that I thought it would make a difference to, and, and the book title okay. is? Uh, yeah, imposter syndrome is a secret self-doubt that mm, right. smart people struggle with that make them think, I'm not that smart. I'm, I'm only here by accident, and any minute... They're going to figure out on the figure it out. Right. And that's uh, pushing your envelope, right? That's the name of the book. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, that's the topic about which I speak. But interestingly enough, in the marketing of that, people aren't Googling for, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 
People aren't Googling for a speaker about imposter syndrome, but they may be Googling for um, employee, increase employee engagement or okay. build self-confidence or um, make me, prom- how do I become promotable? Those are the different topics. So I, okay. even though that's my topic, I, I don't want to say camouflage it, but I promote it by uh, appealing to these other needs within a company. Oh, I see. Okay, that that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, and, and in the process of doing that, to get back to your topic about storytelling, uh, um, you know, we we all love stories. Kids are we're wired for stories. If you have kids, right. you tell the same stories over and over, and you hear the please tell me that story again. Yeah. And the reason is it takes people on a journey. It tells you know has them start where they're at, mm-hmm. project where they could be, and then give the journey from here to there, and that's um, one of the, that's like one of the key things that I've done through Toastmasters, through my other training as a speaker, and it definitely is what I do when I promote myself and market myself. Okay. Even when I promote and market myself to technical organizations. Mm-hmm. Even you know, when you my, promote, okay. You know, I, I'd like to hear more about that. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break. Okay. And then when we come back, I'd like to hear more about how you market the storytelling aspect of what you do to those corporate clients. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back. But first, the power of story and science has a new sponsor. I think you'll want to know about this. You are a knowledgeable expert, and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience. But you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention, and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual. And that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. We are back with Maureen Zapala, special guest on the power of story and science. And Maureen was starting to tell me about how she uses story and markets her programs, which have to do with using story and even technical presentations. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about um, how you do that and, and what difference that ends up making to the people that you reach. Yeah, there's actually, there's, there's two parts to it. Um, it's my use of story in marketing and in my presentations, but also I also coach people on using stories. So I've got two different, uh, very specific arms, but when I, when I market, Mm -hmm. I, and it's usually very simple, very short, very sweet. Imagine if your people could step into a, um, a scary situation, take on more responsibility, feel free to contribute even what they think might be a silly idea. We're mm-hmm. not so uh, wrapped up with, oh my gosh, what do people think? Imagine 
how much more productive your team could be. So I paint, right. I paint the aspirational picture. Mm-hmm. And then I step in and I say, I know how that feels because this is how I felt when I worked at NASA. And I give another sentence there. Mm-hmm. And then I say, but then I learned mm-hmm. techniques or I developed techniques to mm-hmm. overcome it so that I'm so here. That. And your yeah, people those words are so, so important. In that, that's a story. Yeah, it Anytime is. You lay a, a timeline with a conflict and a resolution. Mm-hmm. That's a story. Exactly. So I do that in the marketing. And then when I'm speaking, all of my points are illustrated with stories. And, Mm. you know, it's, I I have, you know, hmm, I have a cool background. I'm not lying. I mean, the fact that I worked at NASA, it's, it's cool to me. I loved it. And so I've got great stories, even Mm -hmm. though there are some stories, of course, I can't talk about just because, you know, restrictions, but still some generic stories and Mm -hmm. those, and, and so many of the moments that I had, are applicable to the techniques that I've developed to overcome imposter syndrome. So I use stories in that. And then when I coach people on their presentations, especially technical people, because I know this is for your audience. Mm -hmm. One of the things, and I I know you agree, I think we've even talked about this in the past, Mm -hmm. uh, is that instead of just simply presenting a chart of data, like here's the data from the test that we ran, instead say, while we were conducting this test, I thought to myself, I wonder what would happen if mm-hmm. that's a story. Now your audience, now dialogue, internal yeah. dialogue, mm-hmm. uh, wonder, curiosity, a moment of emotion, and you've got your audience sucked in so that when they present, and then when you present the data, you say, I, you know, I wonder what would happen if, I think I'll try if. And so you do if, and look, this is what if gave me. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Which is so much better than here's a chart. And now I'm going to describe to you what you're seeing on the chart, which is what so many technical presenters do. They start with their graphics, start with their visuals. And then they think that their job is to narrate a slideshow. Yeah. And, um, and I'm sure you do the same thing when you're coaching that I do when I'm coaching and teaching. I tell people, you've got to do the visuals last. You have to start with your audience and what you need to do for them, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The visuals are there to support; they're not to replace. Um, That's right. They're your. And also, too, and there's another important thing that, when I, especially when I talk to technical audiences, numbers are so abstract mm-hmm. that to even put a chart of numbers and even to point it out and say, "Look, this went from 200 to 325 in this amount of time," people can't. Even smart people, even engineers, have a hard time grasping yep. it. Mm-hmm. Put it in some kind of a concrete form. Yeah. Put it in, Put a. make a hand gesture. We started out here, we went to here in this much time. Even just visually giving that cue transforms uh, the data. Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Um, even, even more so than trying to put it on a graph and show, show the increase over time, which yeah. is a very engineering or scientific type, type mm-hmm. of thing to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so you, you talk about, you use stories a lot when you talk about your imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a story about a difference you've seen that make to someone. Um, I can tell you, I spoke to an accounting firm last, when was it? Last fall, like October, November. Okay. 
And uh, actually, it was for their uh, all-hands retreat. It was a weekend event. I spoke to them three times over the course of the weekend, uh, two topics on imposter syndrome and one topic on how to use storytelling in sales, because a lot of their CPA people okay. sell their services. Right. <clears throat> but right. the imposter syndrome talk resonated, both of them resonated so powerfully with the crew because... Um, Imposter syndrome, there's a couple of pockets of people that really feel it strongly. And people that work with math, mm-hmm. whether they're CPAs, engineers, uh, architects, mm-hmm. uh, computer programmers, if they work with numbers and math, they feel it. So CPAs, they get hit with, with imposter syndrome really, really hard. Really? Okay. And, oh, yeah. I wasn't and, aware of and, that. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty astounding. But... Uh, I could tell as I was given the presentation, man, I had 250 eyes just locked on me. It was great. Mm. And the CEO afterwards wrote me a letter that said, this will transform my company. Wow. Wow is right. (laughs) I thought, yay. (laughs) I like hearing that. Some people have called my strategies game changers. Like, oh, I got a letter from somebody uh, she was with. Um. I can't remember which company, I've spoken to so many of them, but it was an engineering company and she was an engineer. And Mm -hmm. she said, oh my gosh, uh, you've given me the courage to put in for this promotion that I was afraid I didn't have the skills for. And I decided I need to make this change. And she put in for that. I I never heard from her if she got the promotion. You don't know if she got it. The fact that she put in for it was huge. Yeah, that was huge. A, A big step for her. And it came about because of, what she heard you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have the impression that a lot of what the work that you've done has been uh, talking primarily to women about imposter syndrome. You know, it's interesting. Imposter syndrome back in the 70s when it was first identified as okay. this um, experience, mm-hmm. it, it was thought that it was just women that, that felt it. But over oh. the decades... No, it's men and women feel it. They process it differently and they respond to it differently. And my audience is usually a mix. I don't just market to women, but if a women's group invites me to speak, sure, I'll come speak to them. But it's a, it is gender blind. So that's the thought that was hung up in my head was I remember reading that the original research seemed to focus on women. Well, it focused on women because uh, the two clinical psychologists that, a little backstory, they were uh, working with, it just happened to be a pool of women. They were clinical psychologists. Their clients just happened to be women that were high-performing, high-earning, uh, high influential leaders uh, in all different fields. And they all struggled, all these women, all these clients struggled with okay. the same fear that said, I feel like my success is an accident. And because it's an accident, it's going to evaporate like that. And I don't uh, feel like I deserve it. So there. Oh, wait, I just want to highlight something you said. And I don't feel like I deserve it. Yeah. That seems like such an important uh, touch point in the in the emotional aspect of, of what that experience is like for people. Yeah, it, it is. It's a that's probably one of the most common experiences of people with imposter syndrome is they have this very low deserve level. They will Mm. not just feel like, oh, I don't deserve all this attention or this success or this salary or this 
opportunity. Not only do they feel all that, but because they have it, they immediately will start to dismiss it or explain it away. Like when I was when I was promoted at NASA from a, a project engineer to the director of the facility, I really thought they promoted me because I was a woman. Oh, really okay. Did. You had to fill a quota. I didn't. I had to fill a quota. And even though on paper, my skills nailed it. Mm. And other people that were in, uh, in the running for the job lacked a certain set of people skills because, you know, engineers, we're not, sometimes we're not known for our, either our verbal skills or our relationship skills. Yeah, I, I think I, those were my strengths. And that's, that was what the job required. So I was okay. promoted because I fit the job requirements. But I thought, oh, no, they just need a girl. So I dismissed and explained away mm-hmm. my inherent contribution to my own success. So I teach people, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> and, and here's how not to do it. And I give people specific techniques to not do it. I, right. I, I, I drag them through an exercise a constant you know a real cognitive mm-hmm. focus on not just your skills and your history but your character quality i remember that from reading your book yeah, yeah. You know, specific steps people can follow right um i think back to my early years in broadcast engineering and um being put in the position of a department head at a tv station uh and uh, I I shudder to think about some of the conversations I had, you know, back when I being an analytical type, I was uh, impatient with people who didn't share my fascination with uh, minute details of how certain things worked. Um, and uh, I, I was arrogant, overbearing. I didn't have those people skills. It took me a long time to to. Yeah, that doesn't even sound those. like that doesn't even sound like the David I know. <laughs> <laughs> that was years ago. Well, let's just say that it was years ago. You know what I found in my journey, Maureen? Uh, looking back on it now, I realized there was a time in my career when I thought the most interesting problems were the ones you solved by connecting boxes and wires and making things light up. Mm-hmm. And. Eventually, I came to see, actually through working on a training project where I was eventually hired as the subject matter expert and ended up being in charge of the project, uh, I came to see the most interesting problems are the ones you solve by connecting people. Yeah. Connecting people and ideas. And um, after running a project that ran for three years and trained over 10,000 people on a new technology in the broadcasting sector, I decided I was done with television. But this whole notion of training and speaking to people and figuring out what they needed from me mm-hmm. before I spoke to them was just fascinating. Because mm-hmm. we developed mm-hmm. this training curriculum about something called coded orthogonal frequency division multiplexing. Wow. Okay. You got yeah. me. I'm a rocket and scientist. I'm you're... <laughs> <laughs> well, this is sort of the equivalent of rocket science for, uh, for broadcasting. It's a new way of, of it's, a, it's a digital uh, radio technique for, that used used to link the news vans and helicopters and things like that back to studios. Well, we developed this curriculum that was all about shoving information down people's throats about how the technology worked. Mm -hmm. And the program was not well received in our initial trials of it. 
So I did the unthinkable. I, I went out of the field and actually spent time with people who are going to be whose jobs were going to be affected by this new technology. And not one of them said, I really want to know how this technology worked. What they said was, I'm afraid I'm going to get yelled at when my live shot goes down in the middle of the six o'clock news. And so I huh. thought, oh, the problem we need to solve here is not lack of information. The problem we need to solve is fear. Yeah. That's huge, Dave. And that's, that's when I started to realize the importance of focusing on, on what my audience needs mm-hmm. before I start focusing on my information. Mm-hmm. 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 You've probably found that, too, because you've spoken to so many different kinds of audiences. Certainly. Well, you know what I find in just in learning marketing techniques, because marketing is not my first language. It's not my first mm. love. OK, you know, mine either. Learn it, and I still kind of dig my heels in. But it really, it, it, you know, features benefits. You can, I can tell you until the cows come home, what is in my presentation. I can tell you about my background. I can tell you, I can show you the cool microphone and the awesome lighting and look at those cool <laughs> But what's in it for you? What yeah. is it for the, as the meeting planner, as the corporate trainer, uh, corporate head of training or the HR uh, um, person, uh, the CEO, what's in it for you? Or even the person in the audience, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to make me feel more confident, more worth, uh, worthwhile, more, uh, uh, more indispensable? No, is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, more indispensable, less mm-hmm. uh, disposable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are you going to do for me? Yeah. <laughs> me what I yeah. feel. <laughs> That's right. All about the individual's needs. Um, so what is one thing in terms of your, your journey from being the, the rocket scientist to being the, the speaker that helps people on their journeys with things like imposter syndrome. Um, what's the one thing you'd want my audience to know that they can take away from this right away? I am, oh, great question. Because this, honestly, I talk about this all the time, is do not ever underestimate the power of your story, your expertise, your history, your experience, your values, your opinions, your presence. Never underestimate the the value, power, and necessity of your human dignity. Oh, wow. Too often we think, oh, I don't have a good story, or nobody's going to want to hear that, or I'm just a lowly little whatever. No, that is so not true. You are here for a purpose, a reason. You take up space to give value to other people and to offer your skills. And, you know, a I, 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 friend of mine used to say, just get out there and get your greatness all over everybody. <laughs> get your greatness all over everybody. I like and it's that. Not a, it's not a prideful, boastful thing. It is a, basically claiming the right to breathe the air and contribute to the world. We have experienced so much and it's so valuable to others. Wow. That's a powerful message. It really is. I just made it up. I mean, but (laughs) I believe it to my core. I totally believe it to my core. This is every time I talk about it, it comes out different. (laughs) Okay. I I heard the real passion behind that. I sure did. Wow. Uh, I'm so glad we had a chance to have this conversation. What's one thing I haven't asked you that you were hoping to be asked so you could answer? I don't know. <laughs> What's one thing you were dying to know about me? 
Um, well, I tell you what, why don't you tell me a little bit about your podcast? Because you, you host a podcast yourself, yes? I do. It's called okay. No Doubt Allowed. All right, and it's where can people find it? Platforms. And I will admit, since the shutdown, because uh, we're recording this right now during the shutdown, mm-hmm. uh, I, I've been a little lax. And it's uh, for no reason other than when the shutdown happened, Maureen's personal shutdown happened. I was just like, this is like a vacation, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably not the best uh, attitude. But uh, yeah, it's called No Doubt Allowed. Mm-hmm. And I alternate between me speaking about imposter syndrome and interviewing experts, mostly in the field of psychology, or people that have deliberately and knowingly overcome imposter syndrome. So there are people that are in engineering or uh, the creative fields, which is another big hotspot for Mm -hmm. people that have imposter syndrome. Uh, People that are in academia, uh, professors, Mm -hmm. teaching assistants, research assistants. Uh, So I've interviewed, so I alternate between me and a guest. Okay. Kind of like I do. Yeah. Content and conversations. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, If people wanted to follow up and learn more about you and your programs, what's the best way for them to reach you, Maureen? Uh, Probably through my website. My website is maureenz.com. So it's my first name, M-A-U-R-E-E-N, letter Z.com. And there you can subscribe to my my newsletter. Uh, There's some free downloads that are there. Uh, That's where my blog is, which again, it's on my backlog of things that I need to get back to doing. Uh, all my contact information is there, phone number, address. So the okay. best place to reach me is through there. All right. Terrific. This has been a conversation with Maureen Zappala, recovering rocket scientist, engineer. Uh, I use that phrase recovering engineer to describe myself quite a yeah, bit. I so. get it. I totally get yeah. it. You get that, right? Yeah. Um, on my program, The Power of Story and Science. I'm David Odie. I'm pleased that you've chosen to join us here. And um, if you want to reach me, you can go to storyandscience.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. would love to have your suggestions for future guests or topics to cover on our show. Thanks for being here. Thank you, David. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. Leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.